Welcome to the Truth Exchange podcast, unique program where we have conversations about worldview all through the lens of oneism and twoism. This lens is based on Romans 1.25. We've exchanged the truth of God for the lie, worship and serve creation rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. I'm your host, Joshua Gilo, and today I have two special guests with me, all the way hailing from Canada. Greetings, gentlemen. This is Dr. Joe Boot and his assistant, Ryan Aris. Greetings, guys. Great to be with you. Thanks for having us. Just on the oneism, twoism thing, there's two of us here, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) One of you, two of us. And I'm sure that we're going to have some sort of uh, uh, discussion at some point about Star Trek in this season. Somebody had just sent me that YouTube video with Picard doing the Let It Snow. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I don't know if you can see on the back of my That's shelf there. I've got, is, that, is that Oliver Cromwell above the Starship Enterprise? That is Oliver Cromwell. It's interesting because I have a portrait of Cromwell just on, on Ryan's shoulder here. That is a portrait of Oliver Cromwell right there, just behind us. That's awesome. My, my, um, my Star Trek memorabilia is at home, though. Okay. The board ordered me to take it from the, from the Institute. <laughs> <laughs> you have to content yourself with wearing the t-shirt in. <laughs> Dr. Joe Boot is a, one of our senior fellows. He's also he's a Christian thinker, a cultural apologist, philosopher, founder of the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. He's also the founding pastor of Westminster Chapel in Toronto. Joe, are you still a pastor in there or you've stepped down from that? So uh, I stepped down from the senior position two years ago after 10 years uh, as, the, as the founding pastor, but I am still at Westminster on the pastoral team. They call me the founding pastor at large. It basically means I, I preach once a month. I'm still on the elders board, but I don't carry the same responsibilities that I used to now that I'm heading up the Institute and we've got our own location here in, in Niagara. Okay. Now let's talk about that. That is called the Runner Academy. Yeah, so the, um, the, the Ezra Institute has our, has our own site now. That's the property itself, which we call the Center for Reformational Culture. And our, our sort of um, lead program, or if you will, our most intensive uh, program that we offer here is called the Runner Academy. And the first year that we actually ran it was 2019. Okay. And what is the vision for that? Well, give me the, the background, the, 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 the story behind the, the name Runner, Evan Runner. So Evan Runner was a, an, uh, an American philosopher, actually, American Christian philosopher, who was um, profoundly shaped uh, by the reformational tradition from the Netherlands. So uh, he um, studied um, under Doeverd, um in the Netherlands and um, was instrumental in bringing reformational uh, philosophy, reformational Christian worldview to the United States. Uh, His significance in Canada is interesting because back in the 60s and 70s, he was instrumental in introducing the uh, sort of uh, sphere sovereignty, Kuyperian, neo-Kuyperian, and reformational perspective of of Doeverd and Vollenhoven into Canada. In Mm -hmm. fact, Heyman did a series of lectures here. Uh, I think it was in the 60s. That's right, Ryan, wasn't it? I think that's right. Yeah, late 60s. Late 60s. And some in the early 70s, I think, too, in um, uh, the um, Unionville area. I think they were called the Unionville the Lectures. Unionville Lectures, yeah. yeah just uh, maybe an hour north of Toronto. Yeah, so near Toronto. 
And um, out of that, actually, his work here was formed uh, the Institute for Christian Studies. Um, unfortunately, that Institute for Christian Studies quickly lost its way and is now pretty much um, defunct. I think it, it still exists as a label, but uh, uh, it's a very, very small operation now, uh, operating under a different uh, banner within a broader institution. Um, and um, H. Evan Runner certainly bemoaned the demise uh, and the trajectory of the Institute for Christian Studies. And so, he, saw, he saw that from early days. Yeah, from the very early days, he began writing about his disappointment with what was happening in Toronto. So uh, we're not directly associated with that in any way. Um, the sort of some of the theological liberalism that uh, eventually emerged from some of that because of, I think, some very um, disappointing hires at the, uh, the Institute. But that, so that was way back in the 60s and 70s. Um, but that's the uh, runner was instrumental in int first introducing reformational thought into Canada. And um, one of our uh, key donors was actually taught by H. Evan Runner at Calvin. Calvin College. Um, uh, years ago. And so, with the sort of coalescing of all of those different factors, we felt that the ideal name for our, our premium cultural apologetics program. Um, was the um, H. Evan Runner International Academy for Cultural Leadership. And the, uh, another, an interesting thing, and part of the reason for, for having uh, the, the Runner namesake, the Evan Runner namesake, is that uh, Joe mentioned he, he was a professor, he was a lecturer, and that was his primary work. So he's not, he's not as well-known, you would say, as somebody like Van Til or Kuiper, who were influential in uh, in their own right. right evan evan runner's body of work is comparatively quite small and it's uh it, in terms of his written work and it consists of the unionville lectures and uh lecture notes from his uh, from the courses that he taught some book he, reviews and mm -hmm. yeah he didn't and speeches uh, that he gave he didn't sit down the way uh some of these others did and write books yeah. So he's a relatively unknown figure in many respects in the broader uh, evangelical and reformed community. But we, we were very happy with that because, uh, you know, as soon as you take a person's name for, for, for any program, you bring, you know, all the baggage of that person's name right. uh, with you. Right. So right. The fact he's unknown, but was so instrumental in bringing the, the Kuyperian Reformation. Warts, warts and all. Exactly. Mm. Warts and all. Yeah. <laughs> what um and, and it's a Labrie program or similar to like a Labrie you have people that the students come in and they they live on the campus and they're trained theologically it's uh it inspired by by Labrie certainly to an extent uh it's a the runner academy is a two-week program where we we bring in students and faculty from all over the world it really is an international academy and they uh, they live and work and study and eat and have fellowship all here uh, on on the property. It's a it's a twenty four acre uh, piece of land with uh, with about twenty thousand square feet of facilities space, and so we've uh, we've been able to to renovate and build uh, inside that space room to have about uh, between thirty five and forty. Uh, delegates mm -hmm. uh, 
full-time on-site. And uh, so the, the Labri uh, inspiration was to have that, uh, that deliberate space where we can foster intentional, deliberate Christian community. Okay. Yeah, so it's all part of an integrated, what we call an immersive training program. Um, Runner is the gold-plated version. We have a variety of programs that we offer for different age groups, but Runner is our premium program because it's the most intensive. And, um, you know, because people are living on site, it's a beautiful setting. It's the Niagara Peninsula. It's a, a region overlooking Lake Ontario. Um, the, the facility that God gave us is actually a stunning mansion property, um, but it's also a farm property. So yes, that Labrie element is they, they get to study, to work, to eat, to live, to pray, to have fun together in this intensely personal um, and relational environment where we think you know, optimal learning is actually done. And we bring in our fellows from around the world, which includes Dr. Peter Jones, who comes in and teaches uh, uh, several lectures at the Runner Academy program. And what kind of, the, so it, it creates and fosters a Christian community. What, what type of curriculum do and subjects do you, do you go over? I mean, is it specifically just apologetics? Is it a bit broader? Um, yeah, so I'll start with that. So mm. essentially what we're, um, the Ezra Institute as a whole is focused on as a, as a Christian think tank and worldview training organization is focused on um, developing a robust scriptural world and life view and then helping people develop that into, a, into an effective cultural apologetic that responds to the broader cultural and philosophical challenges that are confronting us. So traditionally, apologetics, as you well know, Josh, has been very much defined as, as um, in a more rationalistic sense uh, within the Enlightenment tradition as responding to particular objections um, uh, to the faith that tended to be focused on around four or five questions. Does God exist? What about evil and suffering? So theodicies, um, the uniqueness of Christ in terms of world religions, and perhaps some evidences around um, the Bible uh, and its um, authenticity and authority. Those are all, of course, important areas of Christian apologetics. Uh, our focus is looking at the broader uh, civilizational challenges as well. So um, are we asking as Christians, or as we need to today, um, what is the Christian view of human identity and sexuality? Mm. How do we defend it? Mm -hmm. What is the Christian view of law? the Christian view of politics, the Christian mm -hmm. view of the arts, the Christian view of economics and business. And where is the defense of, of that vision uh, of um, effectively Christian culture? Mm -hmm. uh, so rather than just being subsets of church dogmatics into the broad rubric of theology, our focus is laying out at the Runner Academy a broadly Christian philosophy in terms of the reformational tradition, um, uh, showing how that emerges from a distinctly Christian biblical world and life view, and then helping deploy that in multiple areas, which is why we have such a diversity of fellows in terms of a cultural apologetic that's trying to respond to the pressing cultural challenges of our, of our time. So, Ryan, did you want to add any nuance to that? Yeah, I would just say, um, as we mentioned, it's a, it's a two-week program. And roughly speaking, broadly speaking, the first week can be summed up as sort of where are we as a society? in the West, how did we get here? What are the ideas? What are the major uh, worldview shifts that have brought us to this place we're at now? And 
how should we think about that? What is a Christian response? And then moving into the second week, we start to uh, drill down a little bit. What, okay, so what is a, what does the Christian worldview have to say about, as Joe mentioned, education, economics, science and medicine, politics? How do we live as Christians and be, be influential within these God-ordained spheres that, uh, that we find ourselves. There's a bit of pushback, I've noticed lately, in the world of apologetics, and some would say that the scriptures don't speak to those issues. The scriptures are for salvation. It's for spiritual matters only. How would you, how would you respond to that? Mm-hmm. Well, Obviously, scripture is not given to us as an exhaustive encyclopedia dealing with, um, you know, every subject in detail. So, um, you know, if you're going to develop a Christian view of animal husbandry, um, it's not simply a case of looking up the relevant verse. And I think we'd all accept that. I mean, if you're going for heart surgery at the hospital um, and uh, you 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 uh, and we're thinking about a Christian view of medicine, Mm. Um, you know, most of us would hope that if we arrived at the hospital for surgery, the doctor doesn't say, now, let me just um, double check the scriptural passage um, about passages about the heart before we begin this surgery. You'd also hope that they've actually studied um, God's creation mm-hmm. uh, and uh, have an understanding of how the, the, the heart works. So the way we would, we would respond to that is, first of all, to acknowledge that Scripture's intention is not to, in, psych, in an encyclopedic way, cover every single issue in detail and give us a detailed, fully worked out Christian political philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we would say, first of all, is that the Word of God, uh, which is a unity, uh, is first uh, manifest in the creation word of God. So that's clear in, in Genesis 1. It's clear in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So the first word is the creation word of God. And then, of course, Scripture reveals to us the incarnate word of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what the Apostle John goes on to talk about in John 1. And then finally, we have the inscripturated word of God. Uh, These things were written that you may believe and believing have life in his name. So all those three expressions of the word of God are a unity and they cannot be in contradiction to one another. And we can't really understand any of them except in relation to one another. Um, You know, you can't have an understanding of the incarnate word without the inscripturated word or a deep understanding of Christ's role as the word, uh, as John the Apostle tells us about him as the creator. So, and you could look at all three expressions of the word and say that, and see how they're actually meaningless without reference to the other. So that is the the fullness of the word of God. And we believe that scripture um, gives to us the, uh, as the word of God, it gives to us all that is necessary for the development of a distinctly Christian world and life view. And as we take the resources of the inscripturated word of God and look at the creation word of God, we are able to develop a distinctly Christian view of everything. Mm. Um, And uh, because the scriptures lay down the fundamental um, principles. So we would certainly disagree that that you can't have, as, as you say, the pushback, you know, there's no such thing as a Christian politics or 
Christian media or a Christian approach to economics because the Bible simply doesn't talk about it. We would say, no, the Bible does speak about all of those things in general terms, some more specifically than others. Mm -hmm. The resources are there for us to develop uh, in terms of the word of God and the creation word of God, a distinctly scriptural view of everything. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I right now in the what's bouncing around in my head is is this piece by Al Mohler that I just recently read about the vaccine, mm-hmm. and he lays out seven principles that Christians should consider if they should or should not take this vaccine. And some things that he um, he mentions is that just so you know the background of this vaccine that's supposed to be released here in the states is that there are two strands in it. One is from an aborted child, and then the other strand is from um, a gal who died in the 1950s, I believe. Either in the 1950s or the 1960s, I can't recall. But that the, the DNA or cells were taken from her body without her um, consenting to it. And so, so she, did, she did not sign up to say that, that once I die, go ahead and use my body for science. But he, he, used the, he threw out the term medical ethics and and i thought there you go ethics ethics presupposes uh, right and wrong lawgiver god creation um those are these are important issues and so um that being said but now that in 2020 have you guys been able to do the evan runner because of the lockdowns in canada or have that has that work been halted so we were uh we were forced uh with the uh, with the lockdowns with the restrictions uh to suspend uh with the runner academy for 2020 and that uh that was a disappointment uh no two ways about it we've uh we, we've been grateful that many of the people who applied, and it's, a, but it's an application-based program, by the way. You, uh, you apply, you're interviewed, and we just... Uh, we we'll have, have a, a link on, on this. Yeah. yeah, we'll have a link on, on the notes, the show notes. And the next event, correct me if I'm wrong, July 4th to the 17th? Is that right? That's correct. Okay. And so, as I said, we'll have a link to register in the show notes. Yeah, we were we were um, with the Runner Academy, as uh, Ryan says, we were somewhat stymied for this year. We're obviously trusting that uh, we can go ahead, full steam ahead for, for this coming year, 2021. What we were able to do, though, Josh, is because we are a farm, is we were able to pivot a little bit. Um, farms being an essential service were not locked down fully. So what we created instead of our worldview programs and, and Runner Academy this year were faith and farming internships, um, which was a, uh, um, a creative way of developing a program where the focus was on at least half the day was on working on the farm and in the conservation area. So lectures typically happened in the morning and then uh, we had to halve the numbers, um, but lectures happened in the morning and then farming activities in the afternoon, at least for the younger age group. So mm. though we weren't able to do the full runner academy this year, we were able to do something. We weren't uh, completely uh, stymied in terms of being able to put on some of our programs. In fact, the faith and farming program was so successful and popular with the young people that we're actually going to be running two weeks of that next year as well. That's for a 14 to 18 uh, age group. Mm. And it was really just a, uh, a living out and an application of, of practicing what we preach here about yeah. the, uh, the Lordship of Christ over 
every area, including the way that we think about things like work. Okay. So how do we, you know, how do we, uh, how do we do that? And how the, the, uh, we had lectures, uh, that we could develop to, uh, to drill down into these things. What is, uh, what does God's word have to say about the earth? What does yeah. God's word have to say about stewardship, stewardship and, right. uh, yeah, care for the world about what you eat and how you eat, uh, these kinds of very practical things that we all participate in every day. There, there's a, there's an ethic, there's a theology behind it. And since, you know, the whole idea of culture, Josh, which we talk about in cultural apologetics, you're aware that culture, cult, cultus means worship. And so, uh, the, in, as Ryan said, it gives us a very visual picture, uh, with the, with having the farming element here of cultivation, um, and, you know, you're tilling the hearts and minds of young people in terms of a Christian world and life view. And then they're going to put that very concretely into practice, getting their hands dirty mm-hmm. uh, on, the, on, the, on the property here. I mean, there is a difference in scripture between the sacred and the profane in the sense that uh, there were uh, typified in the temple. There was, say, uh, there was a sacred space and, and, and then that which was outside the temple was profane. But there's no... Um, separation or dualism in biblical thought between um, creation and redemption between Mm. true worship and the restoration of culture. Um, The way we typically speak of it is that, uh, and this will resonate, I I think, with with you and and all our friends at Truth Exchange, is that um, the, the gospel, we say, is a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't like to talk about the gospel and culture um, because the, the, as Roman 1 makes clear, which is a, a favorite passage there at uh, Truth Exchange, um, the, there is only ultimately two types of worship. There is the worship of the creator and there's the worship of the creature. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- those two forms of worship cultivate or create two very different types of cultures. And Paul actually talks about the cultural consequences in the area of human identity and sexuality, for example, mm-hmm. of, the, of how a worship of creation over against worship of creator works out. Now, if um, culture, as we've defined it, is the public expression, cult worship, it's the public expression of the worship of a people, in other words, if culture is uh, religion externalized, that was Henry Van Til's definition, religion externalized, it's just your applied beliefs. If the gospel um, restores us to true worship, mm-hmm. which is what Romans 1 is about, yep. Yep. then it restores us to true culture, which the Bible calls the kingdom of God. It's not rocket science. Culture is... Uh, the public expression, it's the outworking, it's the externalizing of the worship of the people. The gospel restores us to true worship, so it restores us to true culture, Right, is the kingdom of God. So, no, we don't recognize a distinction between secular and sacred uh, in the sense that's typically, and I mean, neither did the Puritans, I don't think the reformers did either. Mm-hmm. We can certainly talk about um, uh, a sacred spaces. I think that's legitimate to talk about spaces that have been dedicated to a particular use, but not a secular sacred divide that culture really just doesn't matter. That's a separation really then of creation and redemption, which is nowhere to be found in the Bible. 
Do you see any, any um, going back to Evan Runner and, and COVID, do you see any hurdles on the horizon that, that might hinder your plans for 2021? Uh, and then I've got, and then, and then some of our listeners who might think, you know, maybe I, I might be someone who should go to and apply for the Evan Runner Institute. Should I be concerned about COVID? Should I be concerned about mask or distancing and, and so on? Yeah. Um, bring well, it, me, Ryan. Bring it. <laughs> we're we're all uh, just like you guys. We're all waiting in hope. We're praying. We're trusting. And like you mentioned, July fourth to seventeenth, we're currently planning on on rolling out these programs again in twenty twenty one. And we're uh, we're accepting applications. We are interviewing people. We are ready to making plans to bring faculty up and we are trusting the Lord. We, we recognize so much of this is, uh, is out of our hands and we're just, we're mindful at this time that, Oh, it really always has been, but uh, we continue to, to work and to plow and to labor in hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're optimistic, Josh, as well, that, uh, um, in terms of the summer months, um, and by that point, especially Americans coming up to Canada, um, we, we, we strongly suspect that uh, we'll be in a very, very different situation than we were this year. Mm-hmm. Not, not everything may have been lifted. There may be certain protocols still in place and so on. But we anticipate a very different environment by next summer. Um, and, um, you know, what we could say to your listeners is let's just say that we have a very relaxed approach to this whole situation. Yeah, what's, uh, what's crossing the border like? Uh, well, in the Canadian landscape right now, there is still a quarantine period. Um, uh, I don't see that lasting all that much longer um, uh, into the, um, certainly not into the, the summer. Um, but as Ryan said, I think the, the, the positive thing is if people are interested in, in coming to the Runner Academy this summer, just apply, get your application in. We're not going to take your money and run off with it, um, and, uh, you know, if the program doesn't happen um, for, for some unforeseen reason. Um, spaces are very limited, and uh, there's already a significant carryover of applicants from last year who wanted to just re-register for this year. So right. we'd encourage people, get your applications in, get your interviews done, hopefully get approved. And then uh, if for some reason the circumstances change and it can't go ahead, then um, uh, you know, any administrative, small administrative fee that may have been applied already will just be returned to the, uh, to those individuals. And if they want to port it over to next year, um, we'll, we'll just do that. Mm-hmm. And people and, that, that register for these, they, they walk away with the experience of, of Christian thinking fellowship with, with, with brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, a renewed passion for Christ, anything else that they might walk away with? One, I think one of the, uh, after just one year of doing it, one of the, the most uh, powerful and significant things that we've seen from the two weeks that they spend here is that uh, those relationships continue. Those relationships are strengthened. And uh, one thing that I would say to, uh, to all of your listeners, uh, in terms of a Bible-believing, faithful, God-honoring, um, culturally reforming perspective of Christ, uh, for those Christians who 
maybe that describes you, there are more of us than we think. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, one of the, uh, one of the, the advantages and the strengths of coming to the runner Academy is that you're going to get to meet several other people like that people who, who might live, you know, one town over from you and you've never had a chance to get in touch with each other. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's one of the, the biggest advantages and the biggest, uh, takeaways that people have, uh, have come, come away with from the runner Academy. And that has, we've seen that spill over into new organizations and new, uh, new yeah. relationships, uh, developing and, and flourishing. That's a huge point is that when people first come, they often come because they're just, they feel isolated and they're looking for like-minded people in North mm. America who share a deep concern about the direction of culture, believe something's going wrong, generally speaking in the churches and want to know how to respond and be encouraged in that. And so they, they come initially frequently for that fellowship and they leave equipped with a robust Christian world and life view, a distinct understanding of what we mean by a Christian philosophy, and then well-resourced uh, in cultural apologetics to be, to be lifelong learners. Um, to, to, they've now got the tools to go ahead and, and assess all these different types of situations themselves. So, you know, uh, we're, not, um, we're not trying to develop a, a sort of codependent counseling relationship with somebody where they have to ask us every all the questions going forward our goal is to equip them to be released and uh, be able to address in their own sphere or profession the issues that are facing them as christians and as ryan said not only do these relationships seem to go on um uh in these different fields between people but um there's a there's a sense in which uh, uh, an, almost like an informal movement of people is slowly being uh, established in North America, people committed to the same vision um, and, uh, and the same goal. So obviously we hope people have, a, have an ongoing lifelong contact with the Institute, but the, the thing that really encourages our hearts is when we hear from them later on that they've just written to their, uh, they've just had an article published in a journal or a local newspaper. They've just started an organization. They've just, um, they're, they're now heading up a student uh, union. They've moved into the law profession. They've done, and this is the kind of things that are happening is they're being equipped. They're moving into politics. They're now working in the office of the premier of wherever. Those are all things that have happened since just our first um, runner academy. And that's the mm. goal is to see uh, and not just simply a graduate a group of eggheads who eggheads who know a lot about cultural apologetics, mm-hmm. but, a, but a movement of Christ followers who are ready to go into the culture as reformers, as change agents. Mm-hmm. Do you sense you're on the other side of the border, but do you sense for America that that Christian culture is dead and there's almost a well, I sense it. There's a there's a there's a pessimism within churches of why bother. I mean, it's, it's almost gone. Yeah. I certainly think that there, that, that, that's, that's real. Um, you know, with the events in the United States, even for Canada, you know, one of the concerns for Canada going forward, especially among Christians will be that the U S has historically acted as something of a break on our headlong rush into radical progressivism and, um, and sort of neo-Marxist ideology um, you know, we've already had really in Canada for a long time, a kind of social democracy. Um, 
And, um, but the more radical elements of that have been tended to be restrained by our southern neighbor. Mm. Um, with recent developments in the US, that break, unless something extraordinary changes, uh, certainly is coming off for the foreseeable future for a few years at any rate. Um, and, you know, there is pessimism. You know, there is pessimism. There's a sense, I would say probably that that's been around in Canada a lot longer than it's been in the US, though. Mm. Uh, sort of general cultural pessimism among Christians. What I would say to that just very quickly, though, Josh, is that, you know, in, in order to be in a, a, a cultural conflict in, or, or war, if you will, um, you, you have to join the battlefield. And um, a, a lot of people are throwing in the towel, having never actually gotten into the ring. Um, and we've sort of sat back and we've looked at, if I can use that boxing image, I hope that translates into in, in, in the US. Um, you know, you um, throwing in the towel, is that an expression we have in the United States? Oh yeah. We don't yeah. celebrate boxing day, that's coming up. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it feels sometimes as though, you, you know, Christians, you know, suddenly that you see these white towels flying into the ring, but they've never actually got in yet. Right. So the opportunity that we have right now is, yes, this is a difficult time. Yes, um, you know, Solzhenitsyn's warning uh, of living not by lies that we've heard from uh, Dreyer and others. You know, th these things are true. That, that there is a, uh, I mean, the Institute has been warning for 10 years about a soft totalitarianism. Mm. Um, we're, we're glad Dreyer's caught up finally. Um, but... Um, the, we don't we don't look at that and say let's be pessimistic and go crawl into a to a to a hole somewhere. Uh, our response to that needs to be um, how do we live faithfully in the midst of that, and how do we deploy um, ourselves as Christians to live consistently and faithfully with a distinctly Christian world and life view in all these different areas, and trust the Lord with respect to the results. I think the problem has been that for decades now. We've not thought about Christian worldview, sphere sovereignty, um, a cultural apologetic. I mean, Francis Schaeffer, yeah, said a few things back in the 60s. Guys like RJ Rashduni and others talked about these things, warned about these things 40, 50 years ago. For the most part, they weren't heeded. Um, they certainly weren't listened to in Britain and certainly not in Canada, pocket mm -hmm. in the US for sure. And now we would say we're reaping the cultural consequences of that. And so... Um, you know, I think it may have been Edmund Burke who has been credited with saying that all that is needed for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Um, and so we need a new generation of William Wilberforces and H. Evan Runners and faithful people in different fields who are going to go into the spiritual battle for the Lord Jesus Christ, armed and equipped with a robust scriptural view of reality, which we've been lacking in the churches. We've had, um, you know, we talk here, Josh, very quickly about... Um, uh, the, the difference between the power of the engine, let's say that, the, let's say if I take the image of a car, if the engine, the, the horsepower um, is the power of the car, um, we've talked a lot in Christian circles in North America about the power of the gospel, about the uniqueness of the gospel, and, and we've preached the gospel, and there's been a lot of noise, a lot of revving of the engine mm -hmm. over the last 40 or 50 years, a lot of sound and fury. Um, but that power in the engine is useless without the transmission without the gearbox mm. and it's and it's the, a christian world and life view is the gearbox that translates the power of the gospel into the real world so that we can make kingdom progress right and without the right gearbox if the gearbox is not contextualizing the gospel correctly and it's inadequate 
then you can have lots of worship, lots of sound, lots of noise, lots of lights, lots of big seeker churches, lots of gospel, gospel, gospel. Let's be gospel-centric, gospel coalitions, gospel this, gospel that. Right. But if we don't have the gearbox of the Christian world and life, you translating the power of that gospel into cultural life, then we don't see transformation. And that mm-hmm. we see as an institute is the key issue. Yeah. Joe and Ryan, thank you for uh, taking time to be on the program. As I said, we're going to have this information, how to register for the Evan Runner in the notes. Uh, But for those listeners who are not looking at the notes at the moment, you can go to EzraInstitute.ca for more information. There's also many, many resources that I highly commend to you written by done by the staff they also have a podcast and of course you can always visit truthexchange.com for resources from joe he's uh, contributed a number of times on our symposium as well as as a writer for us so joe and ryan thank you for partnering with us today thank you josh Real for having pleasure us to see you keep it up this concludes our episode of the truth exchange podcast unique program where we have conversations about worldview all through the lens of oneism and twoism be sure to drop us a line let us know how you think we're doing or let us know about anything that you would like to see us address in upcoming episodes remember this podcast is only made possible from friends like you